Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. That is Psalm 128, which along with Psalms 129 and 130, the Psalms appointed for today, Wednesday, August the 17th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. We are continuing a look at Judges in the 18th chapter, verses 16 to 31, which is the Danites going up to conquer the peaceful city of Laish. Uh, also in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, and in Acts 8, verses 14 to 25. So remember, these 600 men of the Danites had gone up based on the word of the five uh, spies who had gone out and had, had spied out the land, and then they went and found, th- they, they decided, oh, this is easy pickings. And it, and it was. Um, but then they went to this house of Micah, the, the man who had taken the, had made an idol, and an ephod, and got himself a priest who was actually a Levite to look after his family. So now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with the tribe of Dan, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate, the, the gate of the city of, uh, of, of, or the person, Micah. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household goods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be the priest of the house of one man or to be the priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel? Well, that seems a pretty easy question, right? Wouldn't you rather be a priest for an entire tribe of Israel as opposed to one dude? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. I mean, he's a priest of something. It's not Yahweh, but but he's a priest of something. And so he decides, hey, it'd be far better to be the priest for a, a larger group of people than just this one guy and his family. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. When they had gone a distance from the house of Micah, the men who were in the house near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. So he, Micah called the neighbors and said, let's come after these people who took my household gods, because they were all getting blessed by this. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you come out with such a company? And he said, You take my gods that I made and the priest and go away, and what have I left? What are they? What then do you ask me? What's the matter with you? This sounds very much like Laban chasing after Jacob after Leah had stolen his, or Rachel, I mean, had stolen his household gods. And the people of Dan said to him, don't let your voice be heard amongst us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. In other words, be careful what you're saying there, big boy. You say that one more time, we're coming after you. Then the people of Dan went their way. <laughs> and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. Well, I gave it my best shot. But, hey, I was not willing to lose my life to get that priest and that stuff back. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. 
and there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and Sidon was their protector, essentially, and they had no dealings with anyone. So everybody else just kind of left them alone, and and now they've destroyed the city. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel, but the name of the city was Laish at first. And the people of Dan set up the carved images for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they were not to be priests. Gershom's, uh, Moses' son Gershom, his, his family were not set up to be priests. That's not who they were. And yet, here they are, serving false gods. Unbelievable. His grandson and then his sons after him served this people in the worship of some god other than Yahweh. It's just an image, an idol, and an ephod. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of the Lord was at Shiloh. So this this perverted the worship of God by this carved image, this ephod, and this breastplate. It's mimicking that which God had commanded Moses to create for the priesthood, which was under his brother Aaron's line. Here, Moses' grandchildren and, and then those after them are setting themselves up as priests of a foreign god. It's absolutely amazing that his own grandchildren could have been doing something as ridiculous as this. In the gospel, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He had been in Capernaum, so he went over to the other side, which is also the Sea of Tiberias. That would be its Roman name. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. So they're following after Jesus as though he were a king because of the signs he he was doing on the sick. He went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Here's the important part. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, so we're talking again about a pilgrim feast. So this big crowd of people are going to Jerusalem. They're Jews. They're going to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover because it's a pilgrim feast, and they're required to go. So that's who these people are. They're pilgrims. They're not non-believers. They're not random people. They're pilgrims and Jews who are going to the Feast of Passover at Jerusalem. They're fulfilling their religious obligations. So they take that seriously. And the reason I'm focusing on this is because one of the most well-known and popular um, religious Christian figures in America a few weeks ago, posted and said, why was it that non-religious people were drawn to Jesus' teachings? And there's not a single case that you could make anywhere in the New Testament that that was true. It's always things like this. Now, the Passover, the Feast of the Jews was at hand. Why does John tell us this? Because he's telling us these are religious people doing religious things. They're not irreligious. They're not non-believers. That's not who these people are. Even the Syrophoenician woman refers to Jesus as the son of David, which is a messianic term of the Jews. And she's using it here of Jesus. She knows something. She's not an irreligious person. So anyway, rant over. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now he's seen a large crowd coming Toward him before, remember, in Samaria, he says the fields are white for the harvest as he watches these people come out to the well. Here he sees these people and asks Philip something different. Where are we going to get bread so that these people may eat? And Philip, Philip said, 
he, Philip said, where are we going to get this bread so these people may eat? And he said this, he, Jesus, said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Now, how did he know that? Did the boy come up and offer them? I mean, we're not sure where this comes from, but, but Peter is basically saying, hey, there's a little bit of stuff here, but there's nothing we do with that. And Jesus says, had the people sit down, and there was much grass in this place. It's really interesting how often that actually is said, and you just look right over it. But there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. He wasn't asking them to sit in the dust. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. So you got these people who are sitting, and, and they're sitting to eat. They're, you stand to worship and to listen, and you sit to eat. So, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So Jesus blessed all these things. He distributed them after he blessed them. And so God blessed that stuff to be enough for everybody. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So we've talked about this before. Who is this prophet? It's exactly who the Samaritan woman was referring to. The prophet that Moses had promised, who would be like him, who would be raised up from among his brothers. And when he spoke, they were to listen to him. And so Jesus here feeds these people as though it were manna. So they receive it and then they say, ah, who did that? Moses did that. So he is a prophet like Moses. This is the prophet who is to come into the world. It's not a prophet like Ezekiel or, or, or um, um, Elijah, Elisha, or uh, Amos, or Hosea, or any of those people, or, uh, or Jeremiah, any of those people. No, this is the prophet that's to come into the world, the one promised by Moses. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Because he, he, kingship is not theirs to bestow, it's the Father's to bestow. So they, they, And you can't make somebody a king outside of Jerusalem. So these people could make him king, but that would be wrong. It would be movement in the wrong direction because they've misunderstood his role. They've misunderstood how important he is. He is more than the prophet that's promised in Moses. He is more than that. He is ultimately the deliverer, the, the one who is like Moses, but at the same time without sin. And so Moses was disqualified from leading the people into the promised land because of his sin. Jesus, who is without sin, is not disqualified to lead his people into the ultimate promised land, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, into the new heaven and the new earth. In the epistle, so we've, what's happened here, remember, is, is there's been a persecution in Jerusalem, and everybody except the apostles fled. Philip, the deacon, not the apostle, because the apostles didn't leave, um, went to Samaria, where Jesus had already been, and, and proclaimed the gospel there. And he sees this incredible harvest that Jesus had promised way back in John 4. So when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the pattern for the way things work within the Anglican world, actually. So what happens is, is that baptism is done at the local level by the local pastor. 
So that priest, pastor, presbyter, whatever word you want to give him, does the, the, the baptism there in the local setting. And then later, we have something called confirmation. And at confirmation, the bishop comes down. And what the bishop actually prays for is the giving of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer who has decided, yes, I'm going to take the name of Jesus for myself. If they were baptized as an infant, it was a promise made for them on their behalf by their believing parents. And now when, he, when, when that child, male or female, agrees to take on the yoke and decides, yes, I want to be confirmed in the church, then the bishop is sent and he comes out and lays hands on that believer and prays that the Holy Spirit be given to them. Now, I'm not saying... <laughs> That is the right pattern. But what it does in, in that situation is recognize that there's more to the local church than just the local church, that it's connected with a wider body of believers, the wider communion of saints, and the person is then brought into that wider community of saints through the laying on of hands by an apostle, quote-unquote, because that's what a bishop is, because they're there to have been ordained and consecrated in, um, in apostolic succession. In other words, there's a belief that the apostles laid hands on these men and these men and these men, and down through the centuries, that's been preserved at some level, and now the bishop represents those apostles. And the priest, who is in a local parish setting, represents the bishop. He is there serving vicariously because the bishop can't serve in all priests. Now, like I said, I'm not saying that's, that's the right methodology, that, that it is indeed a methodology. I'm just saying that's why it happens that way. <laughs> so anyway, so they, they laid hands on him and, and prayed for them. They might receive the Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see the same thing at Ephesus later when Apollos has been there and his ministry is complete. Paul sees these people and says, there's something missing here, and I don't know what it is, but tell me about your baptism. They said, we were baptized into the baptism of John. Paul says, yep, okay, now I understand. Come here a minute. Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. He lays hands on him. They begin speaking in tongues. So they laid hands on him, and they received the Holy Spirit. There had to have been evidence of that. It wasn't just, oh, hey, we did it, therefore they received it. No, they, they did it, and they saw signs that confirmed that it had actually happened. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money. Now, this Simon was the one that had been referred to earlier, Simon the magician. He had come to believe, but he hadn't received the Holy Spirit. He believed, but hadn't received the Holy Spirit in power. He obviously had the Holy Spirit because he believed, and the same with them. So there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit for belief and receiving the Holy Spirit for power, ministry, and life. And that's obvious in the way that Luke talks about it all through the book of Acts. So Simon sees that the disciples have a power, the apostles have a power, and he wants that power, so he says, give me the power also so that anyone on whom I lay a hands may receive the Holy Spirit. It's like a magician buying a trick is essentially what's happening here. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. That's not what this is about. It's not about money. It's not about enriching anybody. No, it's the free gift of God for those who believe. He says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Now, does Peter know that he's a believer? 
You know, that's a good question. We don't know the answer to that. We would I can just imagine Philip standing there cringing as Peter rebukes this man. But the reality is that he has not understood the truth of God. He thinks it's magic like he practices magic. So like the people in the first in the in the gospel today had sort of misunderstood at some level and 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 not in a bad way. They had a preliminary belief that Jesus was the prophet promised by Moses and they were therefore ready to make him the king. They still didn't have a full understanding who the Messiah was. And so here you could say it's the same way with Simon. He sees these people who he doesn't know come in and do something that Philip hadn't apparently been able to do. And he believes it's the same kind of magic that he practices. And so he wants the ability to do that. And so Peter rebukes him over the idea of that. It's not like what you're accustomed to. This is a completely different thing. He says, your heart's not right before God, so pray if possible. The intent of your heart may be forgiven you. You're in the gall of bitterness. What does that mean? Well, it means he's jealous because they're able to do something he's not able to do. And so he wants what they want, but he doesn't want it the right way. And that's really, really important for us in the Christian life. Do we want things in the right way and for the right reasons? You know, that, that's the thing, is, is that we can want things of the Spirit for the wrong reason and in the wrong way. We can seek after things in the wrong way. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. So he humbles himself before these men and asks for this. And so he's, he's getting a fuller understanding of how this all works. And so he's laid down, laid aside his need and desire for this ability to be able to lay hands on people and have them receive the Holy Spirit because he wanted it for the wrong reason. He wanted it so that he would be as great as they were. And so here he says, no, 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 please pray for me. He recognizes the power in Peter in saying the things that he does. He recognizes the gospel in a way that calls him to repent. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So as they're coming out of Samaria, they begin to preach the gospel. So the the apostles now are the ones preaching the gospel in Samaria, as Jesus had intended for them to do. Let's make sure in all things in our lives, especially all things concerning the Lord, but all things we ask of the Lord as well, that we want those things and seek after them in the right way and for the right reasons. That, that the right reason is always in order that it gives us a bigger platform to proclaim Jesus.